0: Hope everybody is doing well uh, this morning. If you haven't been around uh, for a couple of weeks, I am not Kale Boer. Uh, Just in case you're wondering, my name is Dean and I'm the lead pastor at LifePoint. I do the majority of teaching down at our Lewis Center campus, Uh, but I am grateful uh, to be here and to be uh, with you all today. Uh, For those of you who are guests, if today is day number one for you, I'll give you two tools uh, that'll help you navigate uh, the morning. If you would go ahead and take out your smartphone uh, right now, open up your camera app and point it at one of the QR codes on one of the chairs in front of you, or you can type in lpguest.com into your web browser, those go to the same uh, place. Two tools that'll help you. One, there are message notes that are available and they're not just um, my message notes that you would read through, but they're interactive. So you can type your notes into my notes and email those to yourself just to have a record, uh, maybe something that God speaks to you this morning. The second thing that would be helpful maybe to use, there's a digital guest card uh, that's there. It'll take you less than a minute if you'd go ahead and fill that out. And at the bottom of that digital guest card, there are five different ministries listed that we're already partnered with. But if you'll choose one of those five, we'll make an additional $5 donation to that particular ministry in your honor just to give you the chance to do something good, kind, maybe make a difference in somebody's life for letting us know uh, that you are with us today. Now, for some of you, uh, you are not new. You have been around for a long time, and it has been a blessing uh, for my, uh, my uh, own life and Angie, my wife, uh, to church with you for a number of years. Uh, but after a while, it just didn't make sense, right, to have everybody drive down to Lewis Center. And so in 2016, we congregationalized uh, here, and so um, you're attending here, part of our um, heart for multiplication, and um, we're grateful for that, but it's good to see some of your faces. We got an Emmons baptism this morning, excited, right, um, about that. So um, it's, uh, it's great to get to uh, be with you uh, today. Um, we're going to jump into the book of Ecclesiastes. So if you've got a copy of the scriptures and you want to turn over there, um, you, can, um, you can look... Uh, look there. We'll jump in there in a minute. Uh, We're doing a series called Under the Sun. And we know that everybody's going to be traveling a good bit uh, this summer, be in and out. So, um, our creative team and um, our Uh, Next Steps writing team came together and they have written 20 uh, devotionals out of the book of Ecclesiastes uh, for uh, our church family for uh, the summer. And I think, I know know there's a number of people uh, who are on the Next Steps writing team. I think Emily and Lisa and Kay... And Gabby and Clifford, I think from here, from the Delaware campus, are on the Next Steps writing team. So thank you for the time and energy uh, that you've invested. So those are available on the LifePoint app. There's an audio, right, devotional uh, called a Drivecast that's available five days a week. But there are also those 20 devotionals that are listed there. And hopefully those will be helpful to you, um, as, you uh, as you go through uh, the summer. And then I'll just another word, just say um, Angie and I are so grateful for Kale and Morgan. So grateful for their leadership uh, here and that they're getting uh, some time away after 10 years uh, to rest uh, up and to come back and to get set uh, prayerfully uh, for the next decade. So the word Ecclesiastes uh, means teacher, right? And so it begs a question, right, when you get started in the beginning of the book, what, um, what is there to teach and who is the teacher? So Ecclesiastes chapter one, verse one says this, the words of the preacher, the son of David, king in Jerusalem. So I agree with the majority of scholarship that says that the author, the teacher of Ecclesiastes, is Solomon, David's son, the greatest king in all of Israel's history. You may say, well, what makes him the greatest king? How did he get to become the greatest king in all of Israel's history? Well, when he was very young, probably too young uh, to be the king, uh, in the book of First Kings, God gives Solomon the opportunity, gives him a request. He says, whatever you want, health, wealth, power, long life, What what do you want? And Solomon, instead of asking for all of those things, asks for wisdom. And for at least a brief moment of time, we are told that Solomon is the wisest person who has ever lived. And because Solomon asked for wisdom, he got all the other things, right? Um, The health, wealth, power, and all all of that kind of comes with the wisdom of his leadership. And you say, well, how'd that work out? Solomon earned 25 tons of gold annually every, every year. Um, Solomon's uh, house, uh, if you think about it, it took a crew of 150,000 men. So think about the horseshoe one and a half times, the horseshoe, right, full. It took a crew of 150,000 men, 13 years, to build Solomon's house. That's almost big enough for some places in Bexley. You think about Solomon, and you think, think about, Solomon had a thousand wives and prostitutes. A thousand wives, which may make you question wisdom, right? That he supposedly had. He didn't always make, he didn't always make the best decisions, but he's going to explain that as he moves throughout the book. So that's who Solomon is. Um, he's the teacher. So what does, he, what does he have to teach? Verse 2, vanity of vanities, says the preacher, vanity of vanities, all. Is vanity. Now that's the phrase that he's going to use throughout the book. As a matter of fact, I think he uses it 35 times. Uh, the word vanity means breath or vapor or empty or conceptually um, in Hebrew it means meaningless. So in other words, over and over and over again in the book, he's going to say meaningless, meaningless. Everything everything is meaningless. So Solomon, in some ways, I mean, it's a downer, right, of a book whenever you, whenever you read it, but he's intentional about it. Uh, whenever um, our teaching pastor team got together and we were talking about what we we're going to title the series, uh, somebody threw out the title, hey, what if we called it Endless Summer because of the repetitive theme? And somebody said, we ought to call it Endless Bummer, right? Because that's how Solomon, that's how, it's just it's like depressing thing after depressing thing after, he's like, everything, everything is meaningless. How does that how does that help us? Look at verse three. What does a man gain by all the toil at which he toils under the sun? This is Solomon's ultimate question because the second phrase that he uses um, is under the sun, after which the series, right, is entitled. He uses that phrase 29 times in the book. So you put those two things together. Solomon is constantly asking the question, where is their meaning under the sun? And under the sun, he means outside of heaven, right? So if all we're doing is looking for an earthly meaning, where, so where, where can you find meaning under the sun or outside of heaven? The way that I think we would ask that question, this is what I said to uh, folks at Lewis Center last week, is what is the point of my life? What is the point of your life? So let's just say that together. I'll say it and then you repeat it, okay? Okay, all right? All right, what is the point? Of my life? life. That was terrible. Let's do it again. (laughs) What is the point point? of my life? life. That's the question that Solomon is asking over and over and over again. And the ultimate answer, and really the big idea that we're going to talk about every week, is that God offers us a very full life in an empty world. Solomon says, What does a man gain by all the toil under his son? In other words, what's the payoff? What is the point? Of my life. And when you and I search, when we're looking for meaning, one of the things that we tend to rely on as we live life out in the world is power. And Solomon, deals, Solomon understood power because he had it to its greatest heights. And he's going to offer us some reflections on not only how we u- uh, utilize power, but what trouble and what danger Uh, that is to our souls. So we're going to jump over to chapter 6 as we talk about power. So uh, jump over there, and we'll start in verse 1. Solomon says this, There is an evil that I have seen under the sun, and it lies heavy on mankind, a man to whom God gives wealth, possessions, and honor, so that he lacks nothing that he desires. Yet God does not give him power to enjoy them, but a stranger enjoys them. This is vanity, it is a grievous evil. Now, when we talk about power, just so we're talking about the same thing, I'm gonna use Dallas Willard's definition of power. It is, he says it's the range of your effective will. And what Willard means by that, uh, when we're talking about power, is your ability, my ability, to affect change. It's your ability, my ability, to, um, to make decisions, to make choices, to affect outcomes. Um, power is your little personal kingdom. Right, it's the uh, the ability that you have to make things occur, to, to make things happen. We have euphemisms about this in our culture, right? Think about little sayings that we have. A man's home is his, or maybe it's not. I don't think. I mean, some of you, some of the guys are like, I'm not saying it, man. I'm not. No, a man's home we say is is his castle right? Ladies are like, yeah, right, sure it is, sure it is. I remember, um, man, whenever, whenever our kids were young, we have three children, whenever they were little, um, I would try to mandate, I mandated things, right? I would, I'd walk in the, the house after work is done, and my three little kids, right, they, they've got all their chores done, they're, they're all washed, and they're all bathed, and they're standing there waiting to greet me at the door, and they're like, Father, Thank you for working so hard for our family. One of them had slippers for me. One of them had the remote control. One of them had a glass of iced tea for me. What does all that mean? It means I walked into the wrong house, right? I don't know about your house. That's not how things work. The kids ran that kingdom uh, a lot of the time. But we all have this range, right? We all have this, this, this space where we can make choices, make decisions, and we feel like that we can make things happen. And Solomon is going to say, we'll come back to this in just a second, in, in verse two, Solomon says, listen, you can possess all the, all the things. You can have all, all the stuff and wealth and honor. He talks about all those things. And he says, yet, yeah, but you don't have the power to possess them. But how do you have, how do you possess them, but you don't have the power to possess them or the power to enjoy them? But another man's going, what does what he, he, what does he mean by that? We'll pick it back up in verse three. He says, if a man fathers a hundred children, and lives many years so that the days of his years are many but his soul is not satisfied with life's good things and he also has no burial i say that a stillborn child is better off than he for it comes in vanity and goes in darkness and in darkness its name is covered moreover it has not seen the sun or known anything, yet it finds rest rather than any. even though he should live a thousand years twice over, or two thousand years, yet in joy, no good. Do not all go um, to one place. Solomon says, listen, you can father a hundred children. Now, in Their culture, if you think about it, um, power in a lot of ways was wrapped up in how many children you had. And the more children you have, the more authority you had. The, the bigger your clan, the more strength, the more power uh, that you had. You could you, think about it, you could father hundred children. You could live two thousand years in their world. The longer you lived, the more successful you were. The more blessed, right? You were by God. He says you can have you can have all those things, but you don't. But you're not able to enjoy them. That's really one of the dangers that comes with power. That you can possess all of the stuff, Solomon says, but not enjoy the possessions that you have under the sun. You can possess it all, but not enjoy any of it under the sun. How, how could that be? Because what it does, he's going to tell us, here. it's just going to increase our reliance on power. The power that we think we have to affect change, to make things, uh, to make things happen. Our struggle really is, um, it's a worship problem. We struggle with self-worship. We would rather, we would rather use God to enhance our worship of possessions than use our possessions to enhance our worship of God. To understand that the reason that God gives us things is to make a difference for his kingdom and not for our kingdom. Solomon actually uses a terrible, it's a terrible image. He says it's better to be stillborn than to rely on human power. Now, I think, this is my interpretation, my opinion, I think this is a real-life reference from Solomon. Solomon's oldest sibling... Um, was the product of a murderous, adulterous affair between his father and his mother before they were married. That child lives seven days. And I think this is a reference on Solomon's part to say, you know what, that child is better off because you remember what David said, his father said about that child, right? I cannot go to the child, or the child cannot come to me, right? Because the child had passed away, but I will go to the child. In other words, that child that passed away is in heaven at rest. And Solomon says, it is better, it is better to have never lived and be at peace in eternity than to live with a reliance on power to create influence, to live for the sake of possessions that you and I never enjoy because we're relying only, only on human means. How can that be? Because Solomon says, the grave, the grave, that's the great equalizer. It's coming for all of us, no matter how much power, no matter how much possession, no matter how long you live 2,000 years, 100, no matter, the grave is the great equalizer. Uh, there's an author, his, uh, his name is Tom Toole. He's a, a leader, business consultant. And he said that uh, one time in his hometown, uh, there were two big events that happened on the same day. Both required flowers. There was a funeral for a large family and there was a brand new business that was opening. And somehow the florist got uh, the bouquets mixed up, right? And so the guy who opened up the new business, he walks into the flower shop with a bouquet of flowers, sets him down on the desk, and he says, what gives, man? I'm opening up this business, right, this, this brand new spot, and you send me flowers that say, rest in peace. <laughs> and the florist looks at him and says, you think you're upset? You see that family that just walked out? I sent them a bouquet of flowers to their funeral that said, good luck in your new location, right? <laughs> and that's what Solomon is saying. Solomon says a new location is on the way for all of us, and none of us are going to, none of us are going to get away from that. Even if, even if you handle money well, you handle finances, you handle possessions well, and you're the kind of person who takes care of things and is able to spend things into more things and into more things, what does Solomon say at the end of verse 2? That you're accumulating all of these possessions and when you're gone, somebody else is going to come along and use them for things that you would not approve of. So what's the gain? What's the, what's the win? Why does power work exactly the opposite of how we think it should? Why does it work against us instead of for us? Here's what he says in the next verse. Pick it back up uh, in verse 6. He says, all of the toil of man is for his mouth, yet his appetite is not satisfying. For what advantage has the wise man over the fool? And what does a poor man have who knows how to conduct himself before the living? Better is the sight of the eyes than the wandering of appetite. An increase in human power, unchecked, um, unchecked by eternity in a relationship with God, an increase in power has the propensity to do what? To increase appetite. That's why we can't enjoy the stuff that we have. Because the more power we have, we get more stuff, but we can't enjoy the stuff because we just want more stuff and we want to increase power. And Solomon says, listen, it's a dangerous thing to live dominated by your appetite. It's a dangerous thing. Matter of fact, he asks a great question. It's a great question. He says, how is it that a poor man, that's what his terms, he said, how is it that a poor man understands better? How is it that someone who is impoverished understands more and has a greater sense of contentment than somebody who has a lot of stuff? That's not just Solomon's world. That's our world. This happens all the time at LifePoint, all the time. We send people, we're blessed to send people around the world. By the way, thank you for how you gave to the Wide Open uh, Missions World offering uh, a few weeks ago. It is gonna be a blessing to our church to once again be able to send people um, to plant churches nationally and internationally. But this happens all the time whenever we send people on mission trips, especially for the first time. And it doesn't matter whether we're sending people to Nepal or India or Cuba or Honduras, Typically, when people go uh, internationally for the first time, and typically um, we're sending people to impoverished areas, third world situations um, around the globe, they almost always come home. And when they get back home, it is jarring for them. It's a jarring move to step back into American culture after being um, in, a, in an international culture. for. And they almost always ask the same question. How is it that the peoples of the world have a minor percentage of the things that we have, and yet they're happier and they're more content. It does not compute for those of us who live in the West that we will go, we'll go, we'll send a team to Malawi. And my wife and daughter were able to go on a trip this year, my daughter's first time to go. And that was her, she's like, dad, I don't get it. They don't have anything. They, they don't have iPads. They don't have cell phones. They don't, they don't have any of that stuff. And they're happy. I'm like, it's amazing, isn't it, right? Because it's appetite. And listen, it's easy for those of us who are a little older, right, to point to the young people, oh, it's the phones, it's the... We have the, same, we have the same stuff. It's an increasing appetite. will overwhelm our desire and our rhythms for opportunities, for time um, with the Father. And as that happens... He, I think this is the bottom line danger, really, um, for, for Solomon. The worst of the worst is that human power, personal power, the range of your effective will, your ability to make decisions and choices to affect your environment, the real danger is that it creates a false sense of security and control. And you think, right, you think, well, I've got got this. I can do this. I can make this happen. I can manipulate this. I can control my child's environment. I can make sure, you know, Timmy makes the A squad on the travel team because I'm going to talk to this person and this person. I'm going to make sure we show up here on time, get there a little early, right? And, And we think that we can make things happen. And it gives us this false sense that we are in charge of our environment that we are in charge of the things and the outcomes that happen to us. And what it does is it increases appetite and then it increases fear. Because what if we lose it all? And what if it doesn't work out the way that we think we can make it work out and we live with this, this pressure and this stress? It just, it's all over us. And Solomon said to the listeners in his day, the hearers, the Hebrews, he's like, you think you think, you think, you think. But it is all wrapped up that what you're living for is next, is the next thing, is the next opportunity, is the next. And you're not content with the things, with the things that you have. Um, in the, I think it early 2000s, maybe mid 2000s, there were these two college guys, John and Amir. And they were buddies, uh, but they became such good friends. Um, that they like to prank each other all the time. The problem is each of them one-upped the pranks all the time, until it got to be on such um, a large scale that they started, to, they started to film them just to try and, you know, make fun of each other to an even, to an even greater degree. So, what happened was um, somehow Amir uh, worked it out where John got pranked on the Jumbotron at Yankee Stadium, um, and a girl slapped him, right? And so, he thought he made the ultimate, right, the ultimate prank. But John got his buddy Amir back because he went to his alma mater, the University uh, of Maryland, and somehow he convinced the athletic director to create a fake phony um, competition. They were going to randomly choose three people out of the crowd who were going to get blindfolded for a half-court shot for half a million dollars. So, um, obviously, his buddy Amir is one of the three people who get chosen. They go down to the locker room to explain uh, to them supposedly what's going to happen. While they do that, John gets on the mic in front of the whole crowd at halftime of the Maryland Terrapins basketball game, and he says, hey, here's what we're going to do. Um, whenever, whenever my friend Amir is blindfolded, they're going to give him the ball. He's going to shoot it. He's going to wildly miss the shot. But when the ball passes the rim, we are all going to cheer and lose our minds. So that he thinks he made it and just won half a million dollars. So I didn't have time to show you the whole video, but I do have a little clip of it. I'll show you. Straight in front of you got five steps away. It's your shot. Four, three, two, one, go. Three, two, one, go. Three, two, one, go. Yeah. I said, I don't have time to show you the whole video, but the best, the best moment is here in a minute whenever they get him up and they stand him up and this guy runs out with this big check and they're about to take the picture with Amir and the guy in the check and the guy takes his mask off and it's his buddy John and he turns over and looks and sees and they snap the picture right at that, that perfect moment. And the reason that I showed you that video is that it reminds me that I think there's a good chance that a lot of us are running around blindfolded like we're in power. Woo, I'm in charge of my life. Yes, I make things happen. I'm the, and all your friends are cheering for you. Yeah, you're great. You're in charge. You have power. You have influence. And we're blindfolded. And we've got no idea that we're being pranked by the enemy. And we don't know until we know. And we don't know until we experience the consequences. So if you're one of those people, like me, who tends to struggle with control, what you and I need to do, and this is, this is the good news, really, from Solomon, The good news is that you and I can live above the sun. We don't have to live under the sun, that we can live life above the sun, connected. As a matter of fact, the New Testament calls us to it. It says, do you not understand, Ephesians says, that you are seated with Christ in the heavenlies, that your relationship with God is so secure and so sure that it's like you are already, like you're already there. So what? So Paul told the Colossians, set your mind on things that are where? above, right? Set your mind on things that are above, not on the things that are below. And listen, I'm not saying it's wrong to have things. It's wrong to possess things. Even that it's wrong to look forward to things or purchases. It's just, you can't live your life for things. You have to live your life connected above the sun and not, and not down here, not below it. And as you do that, your desire and um, your appetite for control can, can settle. It can wane, and you can live a different kind of life. If not, vanity of vanities, empty, empty, meaningless, meaningless. Everything is meaningless. Solomon lands us in a spot, and here's where I think he lands us. Either nothing means anything, or Everything means something. And if everything means something, that, that means there's meaning in all of the mundane parts, right, of our lives. What is the point of my life? Some of you already picked up on it, right? It's a faulty question. It's a broken question. What is the point of if you're a believer, it's, it's not my life, right? The New Testament says, "Well, don't you understand? Don't you know that you have been bought with a price? Right? Therefore, what? It, you're not your own? Glorify God with your body. but your body's not your body. Your mind is not your mind. Your life is His. It is actually hidden with Christ. in God. that's what the New Testament. That's what the New Testament teaches us. And if that's true, then you and I can find meaning, And here's the reality. Some of you, some of you won't find meaning in anything. You won't see opportunity in anything because you're just living life under the sun. But some of you, preferably some of us, will see meaning and opportunity everywhere. And the reality is most of us, <laughs> will be somewhere in between. And the more connected in rhythm you stay in spending time with God and loving him in in prayer and in God's word, the more you're gonna see opportunities. I've um, I've been encouraging our congregation at Lewis Center to have God conversations. Not to be responsible to convert anybody, not to twist anybody's arm, but to take the opportunities wherever they can, right? To talk about what God is doing in their lives. 10 days or so ago, I got on a plane headed uh, down south for some church planting meetings, and I get on the plane, and I'm in the C group of Southwest Airlines, the worst place in the world, the the most hated people in the airport are the C group, right, of Southwest Airlines, because the A people get on, they get their seats, the B people get on, and the B people work with the A people to make sure they leave an empty seat, right, in between them, and when the C people get on, what happens is all the people who are sitting in their seats, they see C people, and they look down, right, because they don't want you taking their empty seat in between. So I get on the plane. I'm in the C group. I see what's about to go down. I see what's about, uh, you know, but but the flight was full. Everyone, every seat was going to be taken. They kept saying that. So I come up to, you know, an aisle there and there's a 50-ish year old man sitting on the aisle and what seems to be a 50-ish year old woman who's sitting on uh, by the window. I'm like, hey, do y'all mind if I sit there? And they were like, no, you know, it's okay. And in their hearts, they're like, oh, man, you know. So throw my bag up. I go in. I sit down in between them. I sit down in between Carol and Steve. And Carol is from Elkhorn, Kentucky. And come to find out, Steve is from Elkhorn, Kentucky. It's amazing. Carol and Steve are married. <laughs> so, so I'm like, well, you know, I'm, I'm like, well, I don't have to. I mean, I'm happy I can sit by the window or I can sit by the aisle. I mean, whichever, whichever one they're like. Now we're good. <laughs> okay, this is kind of awkward, right? So for the next two hours and 15 minutes, I'm sitting right in the middle, right, of Carol and Steve going back and forth, which was a joy, right? But every now and then, I would just lob a little Jesus, right, into the conversation as it's coming by, going this way, back and forth. And you know what? Three billion years from now, I may be sitting in heaven talking to Carol and Steve about the day that we talked about the gospel on the plane. Either nothing means anything or everything means something. A lot of you in the room are young parents. God bless you, young parents. You're up at midnight, changing the baby, feeding the baby. You're up at two, feeding the baby, changing the baby. And you're up again at 4 a.m., right, dirty diaper. And you're like, what is my, what is my life? Solomon would say, Either it, nothing means anything. Either that child is the random collision of molecules, and someday that child will um, will be put into the grave. Or, or that child is the special creation of the creator God designed for you and your family to be raised in the context of being pointed back to him, to becoming a disciple who will be faithful generation to generation to generation, in which case you are going to look at that child and you're going to look at your responsibility as a parent, and you're going to say alongside of Joshua, as for me and my house, we will serve, well, I don't know what you're going to do at your house, right? I think about Joshua saying that, right? This is the second time around into, headed into the promised land. And he remembers what happens 40 years ago, right? And he knows the decisions that people made. And he's like, we gotta go. And everybody else is like, we can't go. The giants are too big. And he's like, no, man, God's bigger than the giants. So they come around the second time and Joshua, I don't, know, I don't know who you're gonna serve at your house, but I'm gonna tell you what we're gonna do at my house. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Some of us are gonna see it everywhere. Some of us are never going to see it. So well, how do I see it? You got to be connected above the sun. We have a Savior who gave up ultimate power. Jesus gave up eternal power and glory and came to, and it's what? He made himself weak. That the weak. <laughs> might be made strong. Jesus came, gave his life, died on a cross, made himself weak, subjected himself to human death and torture, only to be resurrected on the third day, to give us hope in the promise that what Solomon says in Ecclesiastes doesn't have to be true, that the grave is not the end, that you and I can beat the grave. And so today we have the blessing of watching people take the step of going public with that faith because we say along with our Savior that he is what, he is our cornerstone. He's the only thing that's sure, my power, your power, the things that we possess, the range of our effective will under the, Solomon says, it's gonna be gone. Nobody's gonna remember your name in 100 years. But if you're connected above the sun, if eternity matters, if you are empowered by a greater eternal power, then Jesus is that rock. He is that cornerstone. And we have the blessing this morning of seeing young people say publicly, that's me. Let's pray together. God, we long for a greater power. We long for a greater authority. The kind, God, that comes uh, from you. The kind that comes from above the sun. But God, we're gonna need your help. We can't do it on our own. We can't accomplish it on our own. But you said that if we would come to you, that you would make us your son's, daughters and the surest of the sure the most absolute of absolutes is that we stand on a firm foundation not built with human hands but you our rock our cornerstone it's in your name we pray